Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. When you are online, what are we, we talked about security of your home computer recently, but how secure is your heart, your mind, particularly that of your children? What are the, the threats and what can we find on the internet or what finds us oftentimes on the internet? And particularly, how does that pertain to our children? How do we care for our children, protect them in this, well, virtually a, a public square uh, that, uh, well, sometimes takes us into places that aren't so public, but publicly accessible? We're going to learn more about that with our friends from Covenant Eyes in just a moment here on Faith and Family. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family you find them in the sponsor section on kfuo.org. Look for Concordia University, Wisconsin. Joining me by phone this morning, Chris McKenna of Covenant Eyes, covenanteyes.org. Chris, welcome to Faith and Family. Good morning. Hi, Andy. Thank you. Glad to have you with us this morning and uh, interested to learn a little bit more about your work with Covenant Eyes and, and why you became a part of that organization. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm the educational resource manager there, and so I work in the marketing department to make sure that we educate as many individuals, whether they're users of our service or not, on how to use tools to avoid Internet temptation. That was what we were founded on um, by Rhonda Haas, our president, um, you know, 16 years ago, knowing that the Internet was going to become, even at that time, he foresaw it becoming an ever-present danger and a risk raising children and so that really became um, sort of his driving motivation to create a service that would help parents do that and as somebody who is raising four young digital natives as a dad who is a digital immigrant um, I find um, great comfort in tools like coming eyes and helping to teach in this case my oldest daughter who's the only one with a smart device how to use technology well and um, just find that personally I align very much with Um, their goals, um, having come from my own sort of internet safety background and about a year ago, having joined forces with Covenant Eyes in order to help as many people as possible use technology well. Would would we have even thought of internet safety, the safety of our children on the internet? We couldn't have even thought of this, you know, 30 years ago. When, when you were thinking about yeah, your, it, your future career, would, would th- these topics have even, you know, as, as a youth, would these topics have even crossed your mind as how important it is to, to protect our children, the safety of children when it comes to this thing we call the Internet? <laughs> well, no, not, I mean, the, the, right? I mean, yeah, uh, and mosquito predators, I mean, these are Old Testament issues. Um, we can find examples of the problem in issues and accelerate like gasoline. Internet makes all of these things affordable, accessible, and in many cases, and all of those things fuel inappropriate human behavior. And so they're old issues that have a new accessibility and a new twist. So 
Chris, yeah, let's 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 pause sure. there for just a, let's pause there just Go for ahead. a moment. We're yeah. we're missing some of what you're saying. Our connection is a, a is is fading a little bit there as we're talking. So let's go back uh, and and uh, recap a little bit more of that as you're talking about the internet and this generation and 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 you you mentioned that these are Old Testament issues. Let's let's revisit that. Yeah, these are things that I think we could point to that existed even when we were children. Um, right when I was in middle school or back in the 80s, there were predators. You know, there was pornography. There were um, bullies. But it's the internet that acts as gasoline or accelerant for old issues, so that they are immensely more accessible, and they never turn off. In some cases, whereby if I was being bullied, let's say, once I got off the bus, home was safe. Unless they called and I picked up the phone, I was safe. There are no more safe places for kids from these issues. The Internet makes that possible. Because the Internet has become incorporated into our lives in a number of ways. So that uh, that's a question I think we'll get to here in just a few minutes of uh, what do we do as parents about where we incorporate Internet and uh, social media and, and access to these things in our lives, in our homes. You you mentioned you know we pornography has been an issue um, for much of our lives. Would you say that pornography has become a normalized part of adolescent life for American youth today? Yes, and the statistics support that. Knowing that when I was a kid, really all my parents needed to know in order to protect me from sexualized content was, did the house I was spending the night have Showtime, Cinemax, or HBO? And that was <laughs> that was kind of the greatest risk. And, you know, a lot of people can laugh at that because they can relate to, oh, yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But these devices that are in their hands, and I want to step back for just a minute and say, I believe the Internet is a great thing. And this is what I teach kids and parents all the time. I'm not here to demonize technology. Technology is a fabulous tool that can be used to evangelize and reach the world in ways that we never dreamed possible. But we just need to be careful because the difference between, and I say this to parents and kids, the difference between the good spot and the bad spot is now just one click. It didn't used to be that razor thin when I was a kid. Like the difference between good spots and bad spots were pretty discernible. And there were some distance either physically or some relationally away. That's just not the case anymore that one click separates those places and that's the danger is even good god honoring christian kids can make one bad click and and not even necessarily intentionally they you know just uh just one click even almost you know innocently accidentally and end up in a place where they're they're well they're facing something that's very dangerous and harmful that's right that's right. It's and this is it's somewhat um, cliche. You hear this a lot, but it's absolutely true that it's not a matter of if your child will see something inappropriate. It's only a matter of when. And so, in teaching parents, what I tell them is that kids who do well in the digital age are kids who have the tools in their belt to know what to do when they see something inappropriate, because it will happen. I guarantee it. It will happen. What are what are some of the numbers concerning the percentage of children and youth exposed to pornography? Like, what has become 
the most common age at which children are first exposed to pornography in some form? Yeah, you know, there's ranges of figures that I'm fairly comfortable giving because it's hard to... Every study is going to show a slightly different number, but I say it's fairly safe to say that sometime between age 9 and 12, most children will have accidentally, intentionally, or shown by a friend out of curiosity some form of inappropriate content online. So I'm very comfortable using that range 9 to 12 for that first exposure. Um, Some studies will point to the low end of that range and the 9, others will point a little bit higher, but that's a fairly safe range to say, which really puts the onus on parents to start having conversations much earlier than they're probably comfortable having them. What does this say about the attitudes of children and youth regarding pornography? We, you know, we mentioned just a little bit ago, this has really become a, a normalized part of adolescent life for American youth. What does this say about their attitudes toward, this, toward pornography and material that's, that's inappropriate and even harmful? I don't think this is a with parents. They don't. Chris, we're still losing. We're still losing our connection with you here. Can you repeat that for us? Is this better, Andy? Yeah, that's a little bit better. Okay, that it really just requires us to parent differently, more directly, um, and to really look our kids in the eyes and have honest, direct conversation with them all the time. Not allow them to use social media when the world says they should and push against some of those cultural pressures that require us to parent differently than many parents are currently um, parenting their children in the digital age. So how has, you mentioned earlier, it's, it's just one click away. How, how has the internet made it, made pornography so much more accessible than uh, say with, with our generation, you know, one or two generations back, it's, it's just, for for parents who perhaps have not encountered it or not familiar with how accessible it is, paint paint a picture for us of how easily accessible it is, um, even for someone not intending to to encounter internet uh, pornography on the internet. Well, by some estimates, and this is a really hard number to quantify. You know, there are, there are well over a billion websites that exist, and it would be fairly um, accurate to assume that at least a fifth of those are pornographic in some way, right? And so, if I mean, translate this into our generation, right? If you put unfiltered Internet access into your child's hand, meaning a smartphone that maybe out of motivation you gave it to them because you wanted to connect with them after soccer practice or something, but not appreciating the fact that it's connected to the World Wide Web. That would be no different 
than my dad putting 10 magazines on a coffee table when I was a kid and one or two of them, maybe three or four of them being pornographic and just hoping that I don't look at the wrong one. Right. Mm. So the unfiltered internet, even as Christians is something that we just don't need access to because of its constant availability. The internet has no ethic. (laughs) It it doesn't, it's not, going to support the way that we think as believers. And so there's so much risk in bumping into inappropriate things. That's why we have to be in kids' business and constantly helping them use technology well to filter it and to monitor it and to talk about it all the time, because if those three things aren't in play, they're just going to bump into stuff that they don't want. we don't want them to see. How have we shaped the attitudes and behaviors of children and youth? How have we, as, as a generation of, of Americans, but this is, I, I know this is not just an American issue, but how have we shaped their attitudes and behaviors uh, regarding, well, specifically regarding pornography, but I'm sure this, we shape their, their attitudes and behaviors on a number of things. What about concerning pornography? I think the, primary contributor, Andy, to um, kids, and these are some generalizations, so if you'll allow me the, mm-hmm. um, the freedom to make some generalizations, I think it's um, one of the primary contributors is just silence. You know, parents ask me often, okay, Chris, what is the right age to talk to my kid about pornography? And my response to them is, I don't know your kid, but I guarantee it's sooner than you're ready, and I guarantee they're ready before you are. If you wait until you're ready, then you've missed the opportunity, they've already seen it, and they've already tried to look for answers as to what it is without your loving, God-directed biblical guidance. So be the first one to say the word to your kid. Sit down with your eight- and nine-year-old child and tell them exactly what pornography is, and not why just it's bad, to point to God's good design for sex and intimacy, because just telling them it's wrong doesn't satisfy the why. And so we have to dive into awkward places with our kids, because if we don't, Dr. Google will. And Dr. Google is shaping way too many moral frameworks of children today because their parents are afraid to talk about awkward things. So let's let's dig into that a little bit more. What is the harm of pornography, and how do you communicate that to children in a way that 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 hinders them from going to look for it, but not uh, not traumatizing them? Well, you know, we start very early on in talking to children about their bodies and private parts, and you know, protecting themselves in that way. I don't think it's that big of a leap to, to say to a child, you know what, in the same way, using age-appropriate language, you know, to sit down with my, um, you know, six-year-old, I have twin seven-year-old boys, and I had this conversation with um, my son when he was six, and I said, you know what, in the same way that dad has told you to protect, you know, your private parts and no one ever touches you there or anything else, if you ever, on the tablet, when daddy's not with you, ever saw anything that made you uncomfortable or you saw somebody's private parts, you would tell me. I want you to tell me about it. Let's practice that right now. You're going to put it down. You're going to tell someone. 
And he was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I would practice that because I wanted him to know at a very early, I didn't say the word pornography to him, but as a six-year-old, he has a tool in his belt to know what to do if he sees something inappropriate. Now, when my daughter was nine, yes, I showed her, we sat down together. There was a really great video that actually the Church of Latter-day Saints puts together because they're very progressive and they're thinking about educating children about pornography. We watch this video together, and then I talk to her about the Word, and she knows exactly what to do when a kid on the bus or somewhere else says the Word. I've removed all of the curiosity that the enemy pounds in on. When a kid is curious, the enemy is going to press in on that and potentially cause them to search in a place that I want them to, to find the answer. If I've said the word first, I've removed the enemy's power of curiosity from that word, and she knows what to do with it. And so instead of being afraid of those conversations, it actually equips and empowers kids to know what to do when and if they bump into it when you're not there. Does that make sense? Sure. So kids are very curious. I we we have a three year old and he's very curious and and is always interested in in what what I'm doing or what mommy's doing and always wants to know or if we're working on the computer wants to know right. what what what's going on there. He's he's always interested in and curious about everything the world in which he's growing up and he wants to know more about. So that makes sense. Kids are very curious people. And if Definitely. you can and if you can. It, it, as you pointed out, kill that curiosity uh, before the the enemy enemy builds up um, something that's well that's inviting to a child or, or develops that curiosity even more um, and, and, and draws them into something that's harmful. If you can kill that curiosity before uh, the the enemy gets to them, then uh, perhaps we're a step ahead. Definitely. And, and and they're made to be curious. It's not killing the curiosity because curiosity, it's bad. It's just that when, if I've given them a tool to know when I'm curious what the answer is, then the enemy has less control. Those things that we deal with out in the light just automatically have less control over us. And so silence, when it comes to technology, silence on awkward things often leads to sinful choices because kids start to believe the lie. I'm not hurting anybody. Nobody knows, right? And those, the enemy presses in on those things. But if you're just open and honest to say, you know what? Not only is this bad, but this is the way God made us. This is the way God wants it to be. And it's because he loves us and it just works better this way. Give them the, give them the antidote to the lie that technology often gives them. Then you're in a better spot. So whether it's technology or other children they interact with through uh, through school or other settings, uh, others or even adults that they may interact with, um, th- having the conversation, being uh, ahead of the game so that you can kill that curiosity with the, the uh, appropriate terms before it even happens. Let's go back to... Um, your household rules for online activity. What are your suggestions for parents, or what do you practice in your household when it comes to online activity? You mentioned mobile devices earlier uh, in, in the, the rules for yeah. your children regarding that. Let's talk about online activity for kids. Yeah, so uh, just for context for parents, I have a 12-year-old, twin 7-year-olds, and a 5-year-old. Um, so girl, boy, boy, boy. 
Um, and so there's when I when I talk to parents, I have a number of different strategies that I, I talk to them about. But a couple of the high level things um, is no internet activity in the bedroom. There are four primary places where kids often misuse technology. Um, I've written a blog post about it, but it's grandma and grandpa's house, buses, bedrooms, and sleepovers. Those are the four primary place for internet misuse. And so as a general practice, I'm teaching my 12-year-old daughter that her technology is, uh, unless there is explicit, you know, approval from mom or dad is not to be used in her bedroom. So much so that she has a Bluetooth speaker that she listens to music from through her device, which is limited to talk, text, and music and a couple of games. The phone sits outside of her bedroom door, and it plays music through the Bluetooth speaker in her bedroom so she can listen to music in her bedroom, but she knows the device has to stay outside of the bedroom door. So I'm just sort of teaching her that behavior so that she knows that that's a spot where we just don't want it. And mom and dad are modeling that. So a huge part of having guidelines is to have moms and dads model the behaviors they want in their kids. So my wife and I are also trying to keep technology out of our bedrooms. That means no candy crush at night or whatever it looks like. You know, if you're trying to teach your teenage son or daughter not to be on the phone while they're in their car, if they're learning to drive, then, and this is a hard one, then moms need to know that every time they pick up their kids from school, don't be on the phone. And that's what you often see, but you're modeling the behavior for your children that is inconsistent with what you actually want them to do when they grow up. And so we just need to be very aware of that. And that translates even into filters and so forth. So my daughter on her Android device, which I said is just talk, text, music, and a couple of games. We have everything else locked down on it with Covenant Eyes app lock feature. And Covenant Eyes is on that, so it shows me once a week in a report what activity she has um, done on her Android device. It show me, shows me the app she's used. And so when I get that report, and she knows that I also use Covenant Eyes. Again, I'm modeling that. I have an accountability partner. When I get that report, about every two weeks, I'll say, hey, honey, I got your accountability report from Covenant Eyes. I show her what it looks like. I want her to know that I get it, that there's transparency and openness. There's nothing that she needs to hide. Um, and I compliment her. I'm like, good job. It looks like you're using your apps during this time of the day, and that's great. And so, I, I, again, I'm, I'm trying to teach her behaviors that I want her to carry into adulthood, that the way we use technology is something we do out in the open, out in the light, not in dark secret places, because that's where the enemy has control. Those are just a couple of um, things that we are doing in our home on a long list. Those are a couple of the highlights. What about when they get to those, those teen years? Um you know, when they get to those teen years, whether the boys or girls, when do you start opening up and, and giving them more access, more freedom? How do you how do you make those decisions as to what uh, you know what level of freedom or what level of access they should have on mobile devices or or on uh, you know a, a laptop or something like that? Andy, every kid is different. Um, my fifteen year old made. You know, if I have a 15-year-old daughter, I may have different rules for her than my 15-year-old son. And that's just the reality. When it comes to technology, you must individually assess your children. Um, And so in talking to parents, there are typically five to seven characteristics that I teach them about that can help them assess the Internet readiness of their children in terms of 
look at their friend history, how they navigate their friendships in real life will tell you how they navigate their technology. Look at their heart condition. How confident are they about themselves? Can they answer basic questions about their identity in terms of good things that God has put inside of them? Because if they can't answer basic questions about who they are, then they will search for identity online, which means they shouldn't have social media yet. So there's all kinds of things. You know, are they a curious child? Are they a child that is typically disobedient? Like all of these attributes that a parent should use as a filter for determining whether or not my child is ready for certain types of technology, um, in the exact same deliberate way that they probably taught their child how to ride a bike. I mean, imagine if parents were as intentional about giving their kids technology as they were teaching them how to ride a bicycle. I mean, think of holding the handlebars in the back of the seat and training wheels and grassy surfaces and helmets and knee pads and all these things just we do to do just to teach them how to ride a bicycle. But instead, we put a smartphone in their hands and taking them to the top of the tall one and it doesn't work and it certainly doesn't technology so you have to ask each child and sometimes rules for different famous we are to do we are just about out of time chris i, I want to make sure that we can point our listeners to the resource that uh, that you have written parenting the internet generation from covenant eyes how can we find this and other resources from covenant eyes that's right yeah, so if you go to covenantis.com, there's a whole list of resources parents that are going to help them out, whether it's my child is looking at home, parenting in a generation, other things that help families in different questions. A great thing about parenting internet generation are the talking guides that we have in the back to actually lead parents through conversations that they may not be comfortable having. And so we just really want those to be a, a benefit to as many families as possible. Chris McKenna, Covenant Eyes, thanks so much for being our guest today, helping us look at parenting the internet generation.